Hi, this is George Thorgood. Hey, this is Pat Travers. Hey, this is Steve Lukather of Toto. Hey, this is Ryan. Hey, this is Chuck. We're in Black Top Mojo, and you're listening to Guitar Talk with Jimmy Warren. All right, everybody, Jimmy Warren here. Welcome to Guitar Talk. So glad you came back around this week because I have one of probably the most amazing rock and roll guitarists that you can imagine that you've ever seen that's ever graced the stage or strapped on a Les Paul. And I'm talking about Joel Hookstra, the guitarist for White Snake in the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Now, if you know anything about Joel, he's been around the block. He's probably one of the most sought after guitar players you know, in, in rock and roll today, you know, he's played with Night Ranger. He was on tour with Cher. I mean, he's played with Alice Cooper and Foreigner and Ozzy Osbourne and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. This guy is a player. He is a player's player. So you got to strap in today. I'm telling you, you got to put the, you gotta, you gotta strap yourself into the seat. You gotta make sure you got a good beverage to drink while you're doing this show today because Joel, man, you're in for a treat. That's all I gotta say. You know, I can't go too far in depth. The, he said some things that kind of shocked me that I didn't know about him and when it comes to his playing and his rig and that. So, you know, there's some nuggets here, man, for, for players and gear. Uh, there's some nuggets to be taken away. And not only that, it's always cool when you get an opportunity to sit down with somebody as amazing as Joel. So sit back and strap in and make sure you got something to drink because you're going to need it. That's for sure. Here it is, my interview with Joel Hookstra, uh, guitarist for Trans-Siberian Orchestra and Whitesnake. So anyway, let's go back. You're originally from Orland Park, Illinois, correct? Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, there you go. Orland Park, Illinois. I mean, I was born in Iowa City, Iowa, yeah. but I think I was really like, I mean, I was a really young baby when we moved to Orland Park. So yeah. Yeah, I'm actually from Bourbon A. That's actually just you know like 20 minutes away, half hour away from Orland Park. Uh-huh. Yeah. In that, so uh, you you spent your young ages in Orland, correct? For the most part. Yeah, yeah, I was in Orland until I, w- I moved to uh, Hickory Hills with my family when I was, okay. gosh, what, like fi- maybe 14, 15, yeah. something like that. So, so when was it during those times that uh, you first started playing guitar? I started around like 11. Yeah. Yeah. And, and did you take lessons? Were you, were you self-taught? Yeah, I started out for like you know a little tiny bit like maybe a month or two with a guy who was teaching me out of a method book and i was on my stepmom's acoustic and i was kind of bumming out i was like this isn't what i pictured i wanted to be angus young (laughs) and i thought like maybe maybe people don't become that maybe that's like some magical thing that you can't ever achieve and then uh and then my buddy had an electric and he was he knew rock songs i was like hey how'd you know how'd you learn that it was like it's mind-blowing experience. And so anyway, he turned me out of this teacher at, at the Orland Square Mall. You remember that place? Oh, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I used to go up there to Ortegueros Musicville. And uh, I had a great teacher, man. He taught me nothing but songs. He got me really interested in guitar, made it fun. And by the time, you know, you learn all those songs, you're hooked. And then you can start learning all the fundamentals and all the stuff you need to know to be a pro and all that. But um, he got me hooked. 
Yeah. And so uh, did you know, you know, at the at the fundamental years that it was something that you were going to do for a living or was it something that you aspired to do but weren't really sure? Yeah, I think like that not really sure thing the whole way. Just but just like loved it so much that that's all I was really doing. I mean, I just played all the time. So uh, it's kind of the last career decision I ever had to make in a way. <laughs> I had eleven is starting guitar because yeah. I mean it was like from then on that was kind of like I knew that's what I, I wanted to do, but I never really said like this. That's what I'm gonna do. I right. just did it. Yeah, and so I, I'm a guess that you were probably in a ton of bands when you were young and. You know. Kind of. It was a, like a lot of. It was a, a big mishmash of stuff, man. I mean, I was in my teenage band, uh, like fifteen to seventeen years old, and we we had our own originals, and I we used to cover stuff like Dokken and um, I don't know <laughs> any of that L.A. kind of based hard rock at the time. Yeah. And uh, anyway, yeah. So that there was that, and then I I got into uh, playing with some other musicians around the area there, recording with them, and I was studying classical a lot at that time too, and uh, really into a lot of the shredder guys. So worked practicing a ton. Uh, there was like a lot of that kind of thing, and uh, yeah. So anyway, that that was kind of all my time leading up to going to L.A. Uh, where I went to GIT at the age of 19 and, uh, and then stayed another year in LA working at a studio. But that, and that kind of, that's when all the real crazy changes in life began, I guess. Right. So was it, even at those young years and that, was it always, was it always just, you know, rock music or did you get into other stuff like, you know, like jazz or country or blues or anything like that? I got into other shit. I, yeah. I think. Uh, that was that era of really wanting to educate yourself as a musician. And my parents are classical musicians. So I knew like uh, uh. how kick-ass people can be in other genres. So, uh, for me, I was like, Oh, I always wanted to be great at everything. Like I, I was listening to all kinds of players, uh, when I was younger, especially. And, and oddly enough, I think as I got older, I realized a lot of this, uh, you know, older rock is what got me into, music and that it's funny that's what came full circle and kind of worked out for me but i still just love music man you know yeah. i'd be happy i love to play like mainly more than listening like i love to be able to play so if you gave me some kind of gig where i could play any kind of style of music i'd probably be super happy you know i just anything is it works for me as long as i have the ability to like practice and get good and feel like i'm getting better and I don't know, like all all that definitely plays into uh making you happy, I think, playing guitar still. Yeah. So what was what was the first uh major step for you outside of GIT, of course, which is a major step. But what was the the first step, you know, where you actually moved into a oh, I don't know. I don't I hate to say a career, but if you don't mind yeah. using that well, word. Well, yeah, it's all it's all baby steps. Like from LA, it was back to Chicago, tons of teaching and supplementing that with playing with my own band and then doing other bands, starting to play like more gigs and then, you know, I ended up playing with Kathy Richardson there, which she had a you know, great following in Chicago and that led me to play with Jim Peterick, yeah. uh, who's from Survivor in the Ides of March and then with Kathy got the gig as uh, Janis Joplin in Love Janice and that brought me to New York kept playing with Peterick back in Chicago. I'd fly back for his gigs and that's what got me Night Ranger. 
and then all these changes just started happening. You know, it was like I got Rock of Ages through working in pit stuff in New York. Then a Rock of Ages happened. Doing the pit stuff led to Rock of Ages. That led Rock of Ages is actually what got me TSO more than Night Ranger. At least, get, you know, it was a television appearance that really got Paul O'Neill's attention uh, with Rock of Ages. So I then you know you get TSO from there. And then really, I'd say White Snake through uh, probably Night Ranger the most, I, I would say, is probably the direct correlation, um, just in terms of the way things moved. And, and I would say, oddly enough, Cher kind of came through being in White Snake. Yeah. Well, that, that's kind of unusual, isn't it? Yeah, it is, but it's like the, the connection. If I had to, if yeah. I had to draw like how the how the connection happened, White Snake wasn't touring, and so I sent out a bunch of texts. And I had just seen in rehearsals with White Snake Justin Derrico, who plays for Pink and uh, The Voice. Uh, he's an amazing guitar player, such a great dude too. Yeah. And um, anyway, so he came over to the rehearsal spot, and so. I think it was just through us talking and like hanging a little bit right there. And then when I texted people saying, Hey, I, I need somebody to fill in with, I don't need a new band because White Snake's still together. But if anybody, need, if you hear of anybody that needs anybody to fill in, well, lo and behold, is, is, uh, the other guitar player on the voice, Dave Barry, the Cher's guitar player needed somebody to sub for him. And then as I, uh, subbed, Dave got busier and I did it more, but blah, blah, blah. And so it's really through hanging at a White Snake rehearsal with Justin that, like got the recommendation for yeah. subbing and share. So it's, uh, again, I mean, it's, that one's not as direct a correlation, but, um, it's funny how all these little moments can lead to stuff. Well, it's, you know, the more people I talk with over the years, it seems like it's always a matter of just being at the right place at the right time in the right situation, just popping up, you know? I think it's a lot of, I mean, yeah. I think it's just hard work, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I do believe in the luck thing to a degree, but I, cause certainly there's moments that work out better than others. But it, if you're constantly busy and always trying to do your best and always doing a good job, then that just seems to always kind of lead to other stuff. Like if you do a good job at it, somebody says, man, you know, that guy did a good job at doing this. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I think it's that, that desire to be really good at something. And, um, I, I like when people say, how did it all work out for you? I always say desperation <laughs> 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 because I, at the end of the day, it kind of is that feeling like you, when you're a struggling musician, you learn to try really hard all the time to do your best. Right. Yeah. So I can't really turn that switch off a lot of times. Right. So I'm just always driving, trying to push myself to do my best to have things work out. And, uh, yeah, so that, that's where it stays. It stays in that mode of like, oh my God, this could all go away tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so, and, and lo and behold, in 2020, it kind of has in a weird way that I've been saying that the whole time. And which is why I never want to take a break or stop or get, or ease up on myself at all. And, and then lo and behold, 2020 rolls around. So now it's like the ultimate challenge, you know, can you kick 2020's ass and, actually work and be productive and, and thrive in it. Yeah. Now, when you were, when you were, uh, young in that, you know, what was your, uh, practice, you know, routines? Like, did you, did you always have the guitar in your hand? Was it something that never really left your sight? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, high school was kind of like get home and practice, uh, for a couple hours, do my homework and call it a day. Right. Just Cause you'd have to go to school. And I remember begging my mom to let me drop out 
It's like, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm, I, I can't only practice two, three hours a day and be great. I need, uh, please yeah. let me drop out. So, uh, that's, that's kind of the way I went in high school. And then, uh, college, I did a lot of classical at that time. So yeah, I was practicing yeah. always a couple hours a day. At GIT, I went crazy. I think I, I was practicing eight hours a day for a, for a good chunk of that. Yeah. Um, I remember summer times when I was a kid, like when I was 15, where I didn't have to get a job, uh, or yet I was young enough to not need a job. I remember practicing really hard that summer, being on like a five, six hour a day schedule, um, which for a kid is, you know, heavy, I guess. Yeah. The reason, the reason I asked that is because, you know, it, it's different for different people, but I wonder what it's like for you. Not necessarily now with the whole COVID thing, because that changes the dynamics. It's like, you know, some people have more time to practice now than ever before. But when you're in the midst of a regular year, and I know you're doing 280 shows, you know, plus a year, you probably don't have as much time to, to devote to, to practicing in that, but but do you, do you do you manage to take time for yourself so that you can you know maybe learn new things or spend time working on stuff that you know you'd like to or is it just you're so busy you just don't have time? Uh, well, I don't look at it that way. I look at it like practicing is playing. So I I'm the guy who'd probably rather have like a designated musical project like okay i'm gonna do a set tonight when i'm done i gotta practice this set or i gotta write for this project or i've got to uh whatever lay down this guest solo i like having like these okay this is the musical mission and then it always keeps it in the land of actually making music right not like right. um spending all day to get like a sensationalistic youtube clip and try, you know it's like the american idol form of uh guitar right Just, right uh so i uh, in short, I'm always, always working on it, but I consider that to be practice. Even if it's, um, e even if it's like playing rhythm guitar on a track or something, it's not so much about learning something new. It's about actually like making my time more solid all the time and, uh, coming up with the right parts, uh, playing the right thing, fitting in, you know, that, that kind of thing. Always, uh, uh, I'd rather be that kind of player. I think these days, anyway, everybody's playing a million miles an hour. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's so impressive. So, yeah, isn't it, uh, isn't it crazy? You can go on YouTube and watch an eleven year old sitting on their bed somewhere in a, in a far part of the world and just play something, you know, flat out amazing. Yeah, and while I think it's great. I mean, I think it's any, anything that gets people interested in pursuing music and practicing it is great. I also kind of miss the, um, purity of coming from it, uh, coming to it, like, just like, uh, hey, I, I like, I like music, I like rock and like, or whatever, any kind of style of music, but not necessarily out to prove what a great guitar player you are, right? I mean, right. it's like, uh, so there, there's like an abundance of that happening right now, which is kind of like, okay, you know, that's, I don't know. I, I think almost somebody who just like came out as like a good guitar player in a band would be more appealing to me, so to speak. Right. No, I, I, I completely agree. And you find out sometimes, you know, the people that, that can do that, uh, you know, they, uh, let me put it this way. I have a son who's 26 and, uh, when he was a teenager, he started playing guitar and he is flat out amazing. I mean, really, really good. 
but he was one of those kids that could, he could listen to a Malmsteen or a Steve Vai tune and he could pick it up and he could play it and he could play it brilliantly. But if you put him in a setting with a group of musicians to play as a band, he couldn't play at all. You know what I mean? He was completely lost. He, I mean, he, 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 I don't know if he couldn't, you know, formulate how it all worked together or whatever, but he was so used to just doing things as a, as a, oh, I don't know, you know, as, as yeah, you, well, you, you get used to playing like you're practicing too, yeah. which is why, which is why practicing isn't as important to me as playing. Does yeah. that make sense? It does. It does. Because I want to play like I'm playing more than I'm practicing. So I try to get as many actual playing opportunities as I can. That's not saying I'm succeeding 100%. I mean, come on. You know, everybody's got their struggles. I wish I was better than I am, for sure. Um, <laughs> but it, it's, hey, we all do our best today, you know? Yeah, well, you managed to do, you know, quite well. And you surrounded yourself with, you know, some of the most, you're surrounded by some of the most talented musicians, you know, let's face it, you know, uh, Reb in white snake. I mean, that's a that guy's amazing, you know, and you had Brad Gillis in night Ranger again, you know, a great player, you know, so yeah, I, I've, I've definitely had the opportunity to play with a lot of my musical heroes from my teen years. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> like yeah. just, I'm just like, you know, those guys were young too in the eighties. So I don't want to make it sound like everybody's a lot older than me because those guys aren't, but it's, uh, they were, they were old enough that they were rock stars and I was like a teenager. Right. So, um, it's cool for me to get the opportunity to get to know some of the people that I admired when I was younger. Yeah. You know, uh, most of the time that I've seen you play, you know, you've had a Les Paul in your hand. Is, is that really the guitar of choice for you or? Does it really? It really is, man. I'm. It's getting to the point where I'm having a tough time enjoying anything else, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) I take other stuff out and I'll go. Now I'll double that with a Strat, and then I'll listen and I go. You know what? I just double it with a F and Les Paul and be done with it. (laughs) I I just keep I every time I play, I like the way the Les Paul sounds the best of everything. If that makes sense, so I like the I like the ability to play a single note and have it be so. solid and and rooted you know it's like a, a les paul i just love the way les paul sounds yeah yeah and so are, do you collect you know guitars at all or are you one of those guys that got a hundred of them in a closet somewhere or <laughs> i mean i i play i play all the ones i have uh and i'm somewhere in the like like low 40s i think 41 42 not really like insane but also not like oh he barely has any guitars either i mean it's so i I think probably appropriate for somebody who's been playing as long as i have to yeah um just kind of have a collection so thankfully um five of them live out in la with white snakes gear right now so yeah they're not all with me uh (laughs) but i've got 30 some wow yeah so i I, so i noticed uh, in some of the photos and you know video clips that i've seen you with share it looked like you had a stratocaster when you were playing some of those gigs there was a variety of sounds that needed to happen in the share gig so um yeah, there was a Tele Strat. I played my Fender Jazzmaster on it. Uh, what else? Les Paul. 
Uh, I used my Jackson PC one because there was some of some of that 80s era rock stuff. I loved having the sustainer for it and the Floyd Rose to be able to do dives, not like oh, the yeah. turn back time and uh, found uh, found someone. And, and then there was a little guitar solo moment that was uh, where I kind of had to hold the crowd while she was doing a wardrobe change that. Um, yeah, it was like, you know, dive bombs and you know, <laughs> just, you want to be able to stay in tune with confidence on a big gig like that. And, and the uh, sustainer thing is just brilliant, man. I mean, I just love having that. If you don't have your amp on stage, it's like, what a, what a lifesaver to be able to just flick a switch and have a note keep ringing for you. Oh yeah. 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 I got a Schecter that has the Sustainiac uh, pickup in it. It's brilliant invaluable man yeah. for the gigs where you're running direct i mean i use it all the time on tso too uh, it's just for me it's another instrument when you want a chord to keep ringing or a note to keep ringing you've got it available to you yeah yeah and so your your amp of choice i'm gonna guess it's a marshall uh yeah man it can be yeah. i mean i i yeah i'm i'm either marshall or i love the friedman stuff too oh, okay I'm kind of like I'm in, I'm in between on both of those because I do there's the Freeman thing I, I definitely dig dig what it brings and sometimes the Marshall thing I'll I'll dial up a sound and I'll be like it's not you know not exactly what I what I want I I see so my my problem is I play on higher gain gigs right yeah so it's not like you're gonna talk about getting like an old vintage tone because you got to be able to have enough gain on really all my gigs that you can grab like pinch harmonics and really kind of like metally palm muting. Yeah. Um, so that doesn't happen on just like, uh, on, a, on some of the old, older marshals, unless you're really cranking the shit out of the front end. And sometimes that can be noisy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, in, in general, I think then, then I'm in that place of like wanting to use a 2000 or something like that. And, um, for a marshal. Yeah. To have enough gain. But I, yes, I, I love Marshalls and, uh, and I, I love Friedman. Yeah. I, I actually got a dirty Shirley. Okay. Yeah. I, I love it. I mean, I got one of the 20 watt ones, you know, or 25 watt ones. I think it's 20 watts, but, uh, I actually love it. It's a great amp. Yeah, man. Yeah. It rips. Yeah. It's a good amp in that. So, uh, you know, you probably, you know, got a, are you using a rack system? Are you using, you know, analog pedals? Are you using a mixture of both? I am like so few pedals the last huge chunk of my life. I used to be one of these guys with a big, huge pedal board. And, yeah. <laughs> and uh, really since I, I, I think when I joined Night Ranger, that was when Brad Gillis looked at my pedal board and he went, oh, somebody went to Guitar Center and got a bunch of pedals. <laughs> he, he said the first gig I had with him, I went, oh, okay, I guess I shouldn't bring up any pedals. He was like, well, dude, we do a lot of fly dates where you just got to get off the plane and hop up on stage without a sound check. And he's like, that's just more shit that's going to go wrong. And he was totally right. I mean, great advice from Brad. Yeah. And uh, so I did. I just got rid of all that shit. I was like, all right, we don't need that. Like I was listening to like on the record, you know, Jeff Watson used a phase shifter in this section, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. that bottom line is that shit doesn't matter. It's like, just leave the phase shifter at home, just play the song and make it happen. Right. So anyway, great advice from him. Uh, and there you go. So I've been keeping it really simple, dude. The only thing I use with White Snake is a fractal axis effects for delay and reverb in the loop. And yeah. that's it. So it's basically like just plugging a Les Paul into a Friedman with a, with a fractal using delay and reverb. That's it. 
Wow. And uh, and then share and TSO are just the fractals. So yeah. there's no amp involved. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I would I would have never thought that. You know. I mean, I, I've used I've got a fractal and I use it for recording. I would have never thought. You know. You would use that you were using that when I saw you live. I would have never thought that. Uh, you mean with TSO? No, when I saw you with White Snake. Oh, with White Snake, I'm not using it as a simulator. Oh, okay. I'm uh, I'm using the Friedman amps, and I'm using the uh, Fractal only for delays and reverb. Does it. that make sense? Yeah, it does. So there's there's no amp sims coming off of it or anything like that. I'm just uh, I I just liked having one rack unit for my delay and reverb. I didn't like having. Is the Brad Gillis philosophy, right? Of like not having, and, and the thing is, is that I, I'll get the tempos from Tommy Aldridge and I can have a bank for each song then. And the delays are already in time with the, the quarter note. And I can also set certain songs to have more delay without needing to use an expression pedal. Yeah. Um, so if I say we're going from, I don't know, like a more rock song to like, you know, is this love where I want to have like a lot, a little bit more of that, uh, reverb and delay repeats for that solo. Then mm-hmm. no problem. You know, I can just dial in the amount of delay I want without an expression pedal and needing to be locked to my pedal board for that, which obviously kills like the entertainment standpoint. Um, of the show, you know, you want like, hey, yeah. so on, on some of those solos, I'm required to walk down a ramp out into the center of the arena or whatever. You don't want to be the guy who's like, no, no, I can't. I've got to be riding the expression pedal for my delay uh, back at my microphone over here. So, yeah. So, so, uh, so you have those programmed to just go in succession? Do you, or do you have a, a tech that's, that's cueing those for you? Or are you just doing it with a foot switch or? Yeah, so with White Snake, I do all the switches except for the ones where I'm out, like we talked about. If yeah. I need to go out on on the, um, some people call it an ego ramp. David calls it a thrust. Um, <laughs> but if I have to go out there, uh, if I have to go out there, then my tech, yes, has a he he has a, another board back by him, and he just does the switch for me. And with TSO, uh, they do it all. Because we have to be scattered all around the deck. I mean, you're starting that right. literally uh, sometimes across the width of the arena, so there's no way. Um, and so that the techs learn our whole shows with TSO and do all the changes. But um, it's a little easier. There's not so many changes with TSO. A lot of it is like, same sound, put me on the lead here. Right. A uh, little easier on that. Um, and with share, it was very interesting. We put, we actually put all of it into MIDI. Okay. So it did all the changes via MIDI. Right. And that was nice. <laughs> I didn't have to do anything. I just, uh, the only thing is when stuff like that happens, it's inevitable the moment's going to happen where it fucks up. And that's like the worst when that shit starts going on. You know, you get like a MIDI lockup or whatever and you're like, God, you know, we're playing for a gazillion people right now. And like I sound like a kid playing through a Zoom at a guitar center. So <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. So, so the the world though in Rock of Ages has to be completely different than than touring with uh, White Snake or Cher or anything like that. Yeah, Rock of Ages was. 
a really, really great break for me. Uh, it changed my financial reality. The best thing about when you get a theater gig, a uh, gig on Broadway, is that you can sub out when you need to. Yeah. So, and it's your union protected. So it's not like someone can come in and fill in for me and lobby to steal my job or something like that. It's like you get a white hiring slip when you get the gig and you're trying, the job is yours, you know? So all I have to do, all I had to do was be responsible to schedule my subs, which I had, I believe six or seven people filling in for me at the, the height of it. So mm-hmm. I would have to schedule them and check in with them and make sure everything was cool. Um, but at, at the end of the day, it was fantastic because I could also stay in Night Ranger and join TSO and tour with them during that time. So the fact that they fit together, that was, that, that changed my whole life. And, and, uh, it, it's, yeah, Broadway, you're kind of in the background more, like the dancers and the cast were way more important than the band. Yeah. And, uh, so that was always a, like a little bit of a weird adjustment. It was like, <laughs> okay, we, right. we, we matter. Not less than them, but like less than pieces of their wardrobe. <laughs> like if if, the, if there was a problem with one of the dancers' boots, that would have been like a way bigger deal than if I broke my finger ten minutes before the gig, right? <laughs> so right. it's it's sometimes for, as a rock musician, stuff like that's hard to wrap your head around. But it was it was a real it was a real blessing, dude. It, it changed my financial reality, and so many people from those bands came through to the show, and I was able to. Um, get to know them and and that led to me filling in uh for mcjones and foreigner man because yeah. phil carson foreigner's manager also managed d snyder who was in the show so phil was around i got to know him he heard me play a couple foreigner songs in the show so to speak and so when mick uh fell ill on the tour and night ranger was already out with them he was like hey let's get Joel to fill in. He already knows two of the songs. Yeah. <laughs> it's really that kind of simple. So it's amazing how little things like that make a difference. So, yeah, I actually uh, did it, uh, spoke to, uh, Tim Quick, uh, who was one of the guitarists, I guess, that filled in on, yeah. on Rock of Ages and that. He said it was just a, a great thing to do. So do you, do you have yeah, any- Tim? I gave Tim an awful lot of work, man. Yeah, I'm sure he's a pretty, he's a, he's a nice guy, a good, good player. A very nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's, and he's a good player. He, uh, but, uh, anyway, do you have, do you have any aspirations of doing any more Broadway stuff when things change? Uh, I never, I don't turn my nose up at anything, man. I I, I I don't know the way it'll shake out. I think, you know, the way Broadway works is that if you're in that scene, that's when you get the work. So, I think if I really wanted to dive back in, I would need to grind and start like subbing for people on their shows. Yeah. So you learn the book and then you go in when they're sick and then you become known as the guy who's looking for a show. And, and of course all of this is on hold right now. There's no Broadway right, right. now, but, <laughs> right. but assuming it ever comes back, that's the way it works. So, you know, like Tim, Tim, and, and he's like a guy who was learning every book and subbing for everybody and, yeah. uh, before he started getting shows and getting shows more regularly. And, uh, there's a lot of guys that just stay in that scene and I just have not been. I haven't had time to be in that scene, honestly. I've just been playing so much between the gigs that I've had that I just haven't really had the time to commit to that. But I, uh, those are great gigs to have, for sure. Yeah, well, you know what? When I think of Joel Hoekstra, I I think more, you know, Whitesnake than than being in the background of Rock of Ages because uh, you, ele- <laughs> you, you definitely elevate the show, man. <laughs> well, it's... Uh... 
like I said, it doesn't always need to be. All gigs are different, and you just the key is when you when you have those is to figure out what's good about them, right? I mean, like I told you, Rock of Ages that changed my life. So maybe it wasn't the dream in terms of like, hey, being a, a guitar star. Well, you could always look at the great, the good side. Change my financial reality, and yeah. there's less pressures. I mean, if you're the guitar player in Rock of Ages, you're not getting compared to everybody who's ever been in the band. No one really even knows who's been in the band, right? <laughs> so when you're a White Snake, you obviously there. There's one side to it, right? Yeah, you gotta have, you gotta always have that discussion. Um, but anyway, dude, whatever. It's all gigs have their their good points, and I'm so lucky to have any of the ones I've had, man, for yeah. sure. Now, if, uh, you know, somebody's paying attention to this and, you know, they, they look at somebody like you and they go, man, that's, that's really something I'd like to do. What kind of, kind of, you know, advice would you give them, you know, to, to get the motor running, you know, to get them started in, you know, down a path to maybe someday, you know, be in the kind of position that you're in? I mean, what, what? Well, I, th- I think it's all about hard work more than the than the luck thing, and then hard work kind of creates that luck. Just staying busy. Yeah. It's it's uh, staying busy is the biggest thing, and then the money just starts to kind of come from being busy. Uh, I found, but I'd I'd stay busy no matter what, and then let let the the career come to you through that. Yeah, that's good advice, though. It really is, you know. So, some guys just sit around and just wait for something to happen, and yeah, know, it won't ever happen. Yeah, that way, yeah, ever. You got to create. I, it. I, every single thing that I got happened through some kind of moment where you're like, "What? Are you an idiot?" Like, you know, <laughs> like if I told you what I did. So, I mean, like getting the Night Ranger thing, that Peterick thing, dude. That was getting 37 songs down to fly in on no rehearsal and play a whole show. And I would do that and see Kelly from Night Ranger and he has part of that. But that's a lot of work to get together. 37 songs you can't read charts on. You're supposed to like look like a rocker, so not have charts in front of you. And, yeah. Um, you know, I was doing that and uh, that led to an opportunity with Night Ranger. And even then that still required me going in on no rehearsal and learning 25 songs and diving straight into it with them and. When I told you I did the pit stuff in New York to get Rock of Ages, that was like learning 300 pages of music, like sheet music, and practicing it with audio, including different instruments like tenor banjo or cavaquino, and getting it all together, practicing your ass off to maybe get in and do one show for $275 or whatever, right? So yeah. um, it, like weeks of work. Uh, at, at five, six hours a day kind of thing. Like it would, if I added up the hours, uh, that I worked on those shows and what I actually made, it would come down to less than a dollar an hour for sure. <laughs> wow. And so <laughs> that's the getting the going through those moments, but that's what got me rock of ages, right? Yeah. No, I so it. it's so it's it's all stuff like that that I could talk about, and every one of them almost has something like that where you'd be like, "What? Like you did what? Like you're an idiot, dude!" Like you, <laughs> like <laughs> most people would have said, "No, that's okay, man. Like I don't want to do that," and I would just do it because I'd be like, "Well, what better do I have to do?" Yeah, yeah. So so let me let me step back. You know, before the power went out here in my house, and that uh, we were talking about your album. When does you, when do you plan on releasing? I don't have a release date yet, but it's almost yeah. done. I mean, it's, cool. it's being mixed. It's like it's in the final stages. I, did, I took the promo pictures today. The graphic artist is working on it. So we're, we're, 
in the final stages here. Oh, cool, cool. In your other project, the Echo Bots, or is it bots or bats? Echo Bats. Bats, yeah, Echo, Echo Bats. bats. <laughs> Echo Bats. You know, what, what's up with that? I mean, I watched the video. The The music's great, man. It's, it sounds, um, it sounds it not like It was just like, like a, do, just like a, a premeditated do something different kind of vibe, right? Like, yeah. um, so Matt Starr and Tony Harnell were talking and then they talked with me and we were like, let's not do like a stereotypical hard rock thing. Let's do something like Queen or the Beatles or something a little more poppy. And uh, I mean, how many projects do I want to be in that sound like Whitesnake when I'm in Whitesnake? You know, exactly. I don't, I don't want. I don't want to keep joining bands that that do that. So anyway, we put this song out just for fun during this time called Save Me From Loving You. But um, we're having some fun with it. I mean, we're doing a radio promo of it and everything right now. It's on the radio in the U.K. and in Canada, uh, starting a radio push. But people can go to YouTube and check out the video. And it's fun. I mean, this is like a fun song. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And it was it was unlike, you know, most stuff you do, which – you know, which kind of took me, but I was, uh, I really liked it. Well, I got a, I got a bunch of stuff out there. That's to kind of just challenge people as you go. Cause people love to pigeonhole players and say, Oh, he's, yeah. he just does this. Right. And it's yeah. like, well, wait a minute. I had to learn like all kinds of stuff to get through my career. So like, I have a lot of stuff in my, my bag, uh, that I can play convincingly or do well. So it's like, I want to be able to get some of that out. It's like people, don't even know sometimes that I have my instrumental albums out that are kind of like, you know, fusion. Right. And they'll go back and hear that and be like, Oh wow. Okay. Well that's completely different than anything I'm doing now. Uh, so it's, it, it's nice to have that stuff out in the world. So people can't just pigeonhole you. Yeah. And do you have any other things coming out? Like uh, you did that play along with Bumblefoot, which was really cool. Um, yeah, I do. There's a, there, there's a, uh, quarantine jam coming out really soon, uh, with some amazing dudes. And then I have, I'm going to be a part of that six string salute. Um, I think the, I got to check the official date on that again, but I think early September and, uh, it's an amazing lineup. I think, uh, you know, Vi and Satriani and Tommy Shaw and Rick Emmett, some, some great, you know, friends and great players. So, uh, I'm going to try and come out with something really cool on that as well. So yeah, just stuff like that's fun. And that's almost in a way, it's really cool. You never even leave the privacy of your own home to do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's that's, that's kind nice. of interesting, really. I mean, in a way it's appealing and in a way it's a bummer to not be on stage. So, uh, yeah. but hey, dude, you know, looking at the positive side as which we must do, uh, it's all good. Yeah. Well, it, it seems like you've, uh, you know, taken a, a difficult time in, you know, and actually turned it into something positive, which is really cool. And you, and you're really upbeat about it. You're really positive about it. So that's really, you know, that's refreshing, you know, because some people I talk to are just kind of just down, you know, because they don't have anything. <laughs> well, you know? I mean, don't get me wrong. It blows. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> at the same, <laughs> at the same time, I mean, what, what are we going to do? You yeah. know, like, yeah, I, know. I mean, I can't sit around and like, I, if I just sit and complain about it, it's not going to help the situation. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to do my best. It's definitely a challenge and, uh, there's, it's, it's just a unique thing. So I, I look at it like we all just got put on the surface of a different planet and we all got to kind of learn to survive, you know, right now. And 
And that's this is like I'm in survival mode big time. Right. And so when when this all ends, though, are, are there already talks about going back on the road with Cher, maybe going back in the studio or, or a White Snake album or another White Snake tour? Or... Uh, everybody's just waiting to find out what's going to happen with the world. Yeah. I think David David is is frustrated right now. I think he'd love to be out there. We had a big year planned. Uh, of course, he had his hernia, too, that he needs to get. A fix so let's i mean geez let's see all we need to do is figure out what's happening with the world right now to yeah. be able to uh see but i know david would love to be out right now i would too of course duh you know yeah i mean i'd be i i i'm joking that i've gone from traveling the world to uh traveling to my dining room table every day <laughs> that's 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 like that's uh, quite a change in plans but it, it's it's all right dude you know yeah. like I, if you make the best of it and just kind of keep going and uh then that's that's all anybody can expect right yeah well, Joel, you know what? I really appreciate you uh, taking a few moments in out of your day and chatting with me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. You know, you're a great player. You know, I, I pay attention to uh, what you're doing because it's always entertaining and amusing and it's inspiring to me as a player myself. And uh, I look forward to seeing you live again real soon. Thanks so much, brother. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, man. Seeing you live would be a very cool thing. We'll keep our <laughs> fingers crossed for next year. But in the meantime, enjoy the quarantine videos and my album. I'm going to do that. All right, brother. You take care of yourself, okay? All right. Great chat, buddy. Good yes. to catch up. Thanks a lot, Joel. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye. All right, so there you go, Joel Hookstra, lead guitarist for White Snake and the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. I want to thank Joel for taking time out of his day in order to spend some time with us. Man, it's so cool when you get the opportunity to chat with a cat like that that really knows guitar, you know, he really knows how to, to wield that thing right. And, uh, you know, Joel's that guy. Make sure you're going to his website at joelhookstra.com. Uh, getting his new release, getting the old releases if you don't have them because they're really cool. And checking out some of the videos that he's been doing. You know, he did a really cool one with Bumblefoot. You, you gotta check it out. I'm not gonna tell you about it. You gotta go and you gotta check it out. Some of that stuff's on uh, YouTube, of course. You can also get it at his website. It's on social media. Just look up Joel Hookstra, you know, and you're going to be amazed. And when you get the opportunity, if you haven't seen White Snake with Joel Hookstra uh, and Reb, oh, my God, you're not going to want to miss it. I'm telling you, these cats, man, are bad. They're really, really bad. So, once again, thanks to Joel Hookstra, and thanks to you guys for checking it out. Now, in case you don't know, some things are changing around Guitar Talk for the better. Because you know what? Thanks to you, we've got so many people starting to tune in. And we've got such a great lineup of bands and guitarists and techs and, you know, builders and stuff like that coming on the program. Uh, man, I am, I'm just really stoked for where this thing's going. So, uh, last Friday we did our very first special episode. Cause all right now the shows are on Wednesday. They, you can get them anytime after three o'clock on all the streaming services like Spotify and Apple and Google and so forth. Uh, but last Friday we did our first special edition with Chris Robertson of Blackstone Cherry. 
They released a new album uh, called The Human Condition. Uh, it released last Friday. So we did an interview, and we had him on, and we released the interview the same day as their uh, CD release, which was really cool. Uh, Chris is a, a really cool cat. He's a you know, great guitar player. He's a great singer, really knows gear. Uh, he's got a long history, and it was a lot of fun. So starting this month, uh, there's several things that are going to happen with Guitar Talk. One is we've got a new show, a new episode that's going to be on every Sunday at 3 p.m. Central Time. So now we don't have one show a week. We have two shows a week. So it'll be on Wednesdays and Sundays at 3 p.m. So this Sunday, my guest is going to be Scott Lawing of Zex Coil Pickups. Now, if you're not familiar with uh, Scott... Uh, uh, if you're not familiar with Scott and his Zex Coil pickups, I'm telling you right now, you're going to want to check them out because these pickups are really, really cool. They're very unique and, uh, man, they sound amazing. So, um, I found out about them through Andy Fouch, uh, Fouch, uh, amplifiers. Um, he was bragging about them and he's got them on his guitars and I figured I got to check this out. And then once I did, I was kind of blown away. And so I had, uh, Scott on the program. So Scott's going to be on next, uh, this coming Sunday. So, you know, tune in and find out more about Zex Coil pickups. It's going to be really cool. Now, going forward in November, now we've got two shows, but we're going to continue to do special editions on Friday nights periodically going forward. And just to give you an idea, some of the people that we have coming on those special editions, we have Kim Simmons of Savoy Brown is going to be on one. We've got Frank Marino of uh, Mahogany Rush. It's going to be, I love Frank, man. That dude, that dude, man, he is, he, he's a cat, man. When you turn, when you tune into that show, you're going to be blown away because he is one of the most interesting guys. He knows music, man. He really knows music. Anyway, so we got Frank Marino, got Phil Brown, uh, who used to play with Little Feet and work with Pat Benatar and Cher and uh, Kicks and just a whole lot of uh, great people. So we've got a lot of really cool things coming up on these special editions. But also, too, in December, we're going to do something different. We're going to do uh, a pairing on some of the shows. For instance, uh, I have shows where I have the Black Moods and Magnolia Bayou on the show. I've got one show where I'm doing the Georgia uh, Thunderbolts. At the same time, I'm doing South of Eden. So we got some really cool stuff coming on. we got players from all walks of life going to be on Guitar Talk as we go forward. So, you know, strap in, like I said. Not on. In. <laughs> strap in. And that, you know, if you like what you're hearing, please do me a favor, support us. You know, you can go to jimmywarrenofficial.com or guitartalkofficial.com, the website for the podcast, and you can support us on a monthly basis or just one time every little bit because, you know, I don't know if you know this, I don't make a living doing this. I'm not doing this for money. I'm doing this because I absolutely love it. And any kind of support like that just helps me to be able to continue doing what I'm doing. And, uh, and I appreciate it. I really, really do in that. And so, uh, you know, hey, thanks. 
So make sure you tune in next uh, Sunday, this coming Sunday, when my guest is going to be Scott Lawing from Zex Coil Pickups. I appreciate everybody tuning in. Make sure you're following me, Jimmy Warren, on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Uh, make sure you're also following the Jimmy Warren radio page on Facebook. And subscribe to our email list at jimmywarrenofficial.com and guitartalkofficial.com. We appreciate uh, you guys tuning in, and uh, we thank you very much. And so until Sunday, when we start talking pickups, you guys have a great week. And make sure you spend some time with them guitars, man. You know, plug them suckers in. Turn that, turn that shits up, right? <laughs> okay. Jimmy Warren here. Have a great, great day. <laughs>